Welcome. This is Michael Volkoff, and this is Episode 62 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is an update on the Cuba and Venezuela sanctions programs. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, a podcast focused on the legal and compliance industry. Before we get started, two things. First, please rate and leave some comments uh, on our podcast. Uh, It's a good way for people to find out about our podcast and hopefully uh, to bring other compliance uh, professionals together to listen to uh, important topics of the day. Second point, I wanted to remind everyone about the ethics and compliance services we offer uh, at my law firm, the Volkoff Law Group. Uh, in the trade compliance area, we support a number of uh, global companies to ensure compliance with sanctions under the U.S. Department of Treasury's Office of Foreign Asset Control, uh, OFAC laws, as well as the uh, Department of Commerce BIS regulations or EAR regulations. With regard to sanctions, we assist companies in resolving issues and compliance issues relating to the Iran, Cuba, Russia, Venezuela, and other sanctioned countries or sanctioned programs. Uh, We also will help in terms of uh, providing advice of counsel, uh, memorandum, and advice concerning specific transactions, and conduct appropriate due diligence to ensure compliance with uh, these sanctions programs. With regard to the Bureau of Industry and Security and Export Administration regulations put out by the Department of Commerce, we help in uh, securing appropriate export licenses if needed. Uh, We interact with the appropriate uh, staff officials there at the Department of Commerce to resolve license issues and get appropriate guidance. And we represent companies uh, before the Department of Commerce as well as as with OFAC and the Department of Treasury with respect to any uh, inquiries or enforcement actions or inspections uh, if required. And we'll also, for each of those um, entities, we'll also prepare and file voluntary disclosures if required uh, to resolve certain cases. So if interested in our trade compliance services, please contact me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Today, We're going to talk about the Cuba and Venezuela sanctions programs. Um, First, let's review where we are with regard to the Cuba sanctions program. Uh, The U.S. Department of Treasury, the OFAC, uh, is responsible for interpreting and enforcing the Cuban uh, Assets Control Regulations, or called CAR. These regulations form the basic prohibitions of the U.S. embargo against Cuba, which was originally put in place uh, in 1963. In the last years, uh, last few years, nearly all business activity involving Cuba was blocked. During the Obama administration, there was a general thawing of relations between the U.S. and Cuba, and OFAC and the Department of Commerce promulgated a narrow set of exceptions to the general prohibition. Um, they were only able to go as far as uh, the statute There's a statutory regime with regard to the Cuba embargo, and without Congress acting, uh, there was only so far that uh, the Obama administration could go in its regulations and in relaxing them. With the Trump administration coming in, these regulations and expectations of relaxation have been modified and basically restricted again 
with some slight modifications, uh, which I'll go through. So the Cuba embargo and OFAC regulations prohibit the export or re-export of all products, technology, or services either directly or through a third country, including negotiating or advising on a transaction, such as negotiating a sale of services or providing consulting services or even facilitating uh, a, a prohibited and otherwise prohibited transaction. And like I said, the Cuba prohibitions are primarily contained in specific statutes and require congressional action to modify the embargo in any significant way. The Obama administration relaxed the OFAC regulations, and the Trump administration has come in and revised the Obama uh, regulations to reimpose stricter regulations and have undertaken a targeted effort against the Cuban military and intelligence interests and all businesses that are connected to them. The regulations apply to all U.S. citizens and permanent residents wherever they are located, all people and organizations that are physically uh, in the United States, and all branches and subsidiaries of U.S. organizations throughout the world. So remember, U.S. citizens and green green card holders, wherever they're located, including if working abroad, are prohibited. All persons, entities, or items physically located in the U.S., including a non-U.S. citizen. So a non-U.S. citizen who's working in a U.S. location uh, would be prohibited. All branches and subsidiaries of U.S. companies operating outside of the U.S., and this includes those that are owned or controlled by any of the above individuals or entities. So the Cuba embargo means that any person, no matter what their nationality, is prohibited from engaging in any prohibited activity while on U.S. soil, such as responding to emails or taking phone calls which relate to the prohibited activity. So the Trump administration on June 16, 2017, uh, President Trump signed a new memo implementing new and stricter policies against uh, Cuba. And then the regulations uh, implementing that uh, executive order were uh, implemented on November 9th, 2017, by OFAC and the uh, BIS from the Department of Commerce, and they implemented what is called the President's Memorandum. Pursuant to this memorandum, uh, the State Department now is getting involved, and they adopted a list of restricted entities and sub-entities that are under the control of, act for, or on behalf of the Cuban military intelligence or security service or personnel, and which benefit the Cuban military intelligence or security services or personnel at the expense of Cuban people or private enterprise in Cuba. So remember, we now have a new uh, agency involved uh, in the Cuba sanctions program, and that is the State Department and their list of restricted entities and sub-entities. So the Cuba restricted list includes a wide variety of entities in Cuba, including certain Cuban ministries, holding companies, tourist agencies, retail and other stores, entities directly serving the Cuban defense and security sectors, and more than 80 hotels. Importantly, entities or uh, sub-entities owned or controlled by another entity or sub-entity on the Cuba restricted uh, list will not be treated as restricted unless specified by name on the Cuba restricted list. The impact of this is that 
in other words, the 50% rule that's normally enforced by OFAC and BIS will not be enforced against these State Department entities and sub-entities. So if they're not on the list, uh, then they're not prohibited by the State Department. So now let's go to modifications to OFAC rules. OFAC Uh, you'll recall under the Obama administration had issued general licenses within 12 categories of authorized travel for many travel-related transactions to, from, or within Cuba that previously required a specific license. So travel-related transactions are permitted by general license now for certain travel related to the following activities subject to the criteria and conditions in each general license. So I'm going to list these. And again, you have to look at the specific terms for each general license. Family visits, official business of the U.S. government, foreign governments, and certain intergovernmental organizations, journalistic activity, professional research and professional meetings, educational activities, religious activities, public performances, clinics, workshops, athletic and other competitions, and exhibitions, support for the Cuban people, humanitarian projects, activities of private foundations or research or educational institutes, exportation, importation, or transmission of information or information materials, and certain authorized export transactions. General question I always get asked by friends and family, is travel to Cuba for tourist activities permitted? And the answer is no. Uh, Consistent with the Trade Sanctions Reform and Export Enforcement Act of 2000, travel-related transactions involving Cuba are only permitted for the 12 categories of activities that I listed above. Travel-related transactions for other purposes remain prohibited. So OFAC issued a final rule, again, uh, effective November 9th, 2017, which amended these uh, some of these regulations, and I'm going to just highlight a few of the important ones. Financial transactions, uh, OFAC amended the regulations to add a new section 515.209 to restrict direct financial transactions with entities and sub-entities listed on the State Department's Cuba restricted list. Subject to certain exemptions, a person engages in a direct financial transaction by acting as the originator or a transfer of funds whose ultimate beneficiary is an entity or sub-entity on the Cuba restricted list or as the ultimate beneficiary on a transfer of funds whose originator is an entity or sub-entity on the Cuba restricted list. So no financial transactions either way. Uh, being going out or coming in with regard to Cuba restricted list uh, entities. And th- again, they have to be listed, and the transactions include wire transfer, credit card, check, or payment of cash. Educational travel uh, has been modified so that only uh, the only authorized educational travel is on- can only be done under the auspices of an organization that is a person subject to U.S. jurisdiction. Authorized air educational travelers must be accompanied by a person subject to U.S. jurisdiction who is an employee, paid consultant, agent, or other representative of the sponsoring organization. People-to-people educational travel. Individual, people-to-people, non-academic educational travel is no longer authorized under the OFAC regulations. Uh, Section 515.565B 
of the regulations was revised to require that people-to-people education travel be conducted under the auspices of an organization subject to U.S. jurisdiction which sponsors such exchange, like an exchange program. Travelers must be accompanied at all times by a person subject to U.S. uh, jurisdiction. And there must be a full-time schedule of activities that enhance contact with the Cuban people, support civil society in Cuba, or promote the Cuban people's independence from Cuban authorities. So you can't go there and use this as a ruse, for example, to, um, uh, for tourist purposes. The final rule also with regard to support for the Cuban people amended 515-574 to require that each traveler engage in a full-time schedule of activities that result in meaningful interaction with individuals in Cuba and enhance conduct with the Cuban people, support civil society in Cuba, or promote the Cuban people's independence from Cuban authorities. Now, the BIS implemented a, a uh, final rule, which I think is worth mentioning because I do get, I have uh, encountered this with uh, clients, and uh, it's called the Cuban P- Private Sector Rule. And pursuant to Section 2D of the uh, the Executive Order, uh, the BIS Final Rule revised 740.12 of the year to create a single consolidated provision authorizing the re-export to Cuba of items for use by the Cuban private sector for private sector economic activities. The items must fall into the category of Year 99 or controlled only for anti-terrorism reasons on the Year's commerce control list. In addition, the items may not be used to primarily generate revenue for the Cuban state or to contribute to the operation of the state, including through the construction of state-owned buildings. So though the revised 740.12b does not specify the specific types of items which may be re-exported under this, uh, this regulation, medicines, medicinal devices, agricultural uh, commodities are not eligible for this license application uh, exception. Okay, that's sort of where we are with the Cuba regulations, and uh, we can see that the Trump administration has tightened things up and also uh, targeted, we have the targeted uh, approach towards the entities and sub-entities on the State Department list. So now let's go to Venezuela. The Venezuelan uh, sanctions program has been aimed squarely at hindering, hampering, undermining the regime of Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro. Much like OFAC's other sanctions programs, U.S. persons are prohibited from doing business with certain individuals and entities listed on the SDN list. The Venezuelan sanctions program further restricts particular categories of transactions involving the government of Venezuela and its state-owned enterprises. While the government of Venezuela itself has not been added to the SDN list, a broad range of targeted prohibitions were enacted under the series of executive orders implementing these sanctions. On August 24, 2017, President Trump issued an executive order which prohibits transactions with the U.S. or by U.S. persons related to, one, new debt of PETAVASA, and PETAVASA, that includes the state-owned oil and gas company, includes all subsidiaries of PETAVASA unless such subsidiaries are otherwise authorized by OFAC. So prohibits all new debt of PETAVASA with a maturity of greater than 90 days, new debt of non-PETAVASA portions of the government 
Venezuela, of Venezuela with a maturity of greater than 30 days, or new equity or non, of non-Pedavesa portions of the government of Venezuela. Three, also uh, prohibits existing bonds issued by the government of Venezuela prior to August 25, 2017. And four, prohibits dividend payments or other distributions of profits to the government of Venezuela from any of Venezuela's state-owned enterprises. So the executive order further prohibits the purchase within the United States or by a U.S. person of most securities from the government of Venezuela. Um, The order is designed to target Nicolas Maduro and his entire government regime, and it casts a wide net in that regard, defining the government of uh, Venezuela very broadly uh, and includes the Central Bank of Venezuela and PDVSA, which obviously we have a lot of uh, U.S.-based companies that deal or used to deal with PDVSA, and any person owned or controlled by or acting for or on behalf of the government of Venezuela. So U.S. persons now may not accept payments for new debt from PDVSA or other segments of the government of Venezuela outside these respective time periods specified in the executive order, 90 days for PDVSA and 30 days for other segments of the government of Venezuela. In the absence of a specific license, receiving payments outside of these specific maturity date periods generally constituted a prohibited dealing in debt. In circumstances where PDVSA or another segment of the government of Venezuela fails to pay a debt in full within 90 days or 30 days as applicable, U.S. persons must obtain a specific license from OFAC before accepting payment after the expiration of the applicable time period. So uh, in an effort to outmaneuver U.S. sanctions, the Maduro regime launched its own oil bank, oil-backed cryptocurrency, which was called the Petro. And they further stated that an upcoming uh, Venezuelan uh, cryptocurrency called the Petro Gold would be backed by precious metals. And then, in response to that, uh, President Trump signed a new executive order which prohibits all transactions related to provisions of financing for and other dealings in any digital currency, digital coin, or digital token issued by, for, or on behalf of the government of Venezuela. And the OFAC has specifically noted that the Petro and Petro Gold are considered qualifying digital currencies. So they're uh, covered by this ban. OFAC has also noted that in an effort to streamline its enforcement effort, it will begin adding uh, digital currency addresses to the SDN list to assert uh, to alert the public of specific digital currency identifiers associated with specific blocked persons. In another uh, executive order on May 21st, 2018, um, President Trump expanded the original uh, executive order, which I just mentioned, which we talked about, by prohibiting transactions with U.S. or U.S. persons that are related to uh, the purchase of any debt owed to the government of Venezuela, including PDVSA, such a such as but not limited to accounts receivable. There had been some purchasing going on of accounts receivable, and the government wanted to put a stop to that. Any debt, uh, this prohibition also covers any debt owed to the government of Venezuela that is pledged as collateral after the executive order's effective date, and the sale, transfer, assignment, or pledging as collateral 
by the government of Venezuela of any equity interest in any entity in which it has a 50% or greater ownership interest. This new executive order uh, limits the Venezuelan government's access to capital by restricting its ability to sell off public assets at fire sale prices to gain immediate liquidity at the expense of the Venezuelan people. Unlike the debt-related prohibitions from the executive order, which address certain debt of the government of Venezuela, including PDVSA, these debt-related provisions address debt that is owed to the government of Venezuela, so accounts receivable and other things. Uh, And they prohibit all transaction related to any debt owed to the government of Venezuela, which includes, obviously, account receivables and any debt owed to the government of Venezuela that is pledged as collateral after May 21st, 2018, which includes account receivables. So that's our current framework for uh, Cuba and Venezuela. I hope you enjoyed uh, today's podcast. I know it was kind of detailed, but I wanted to get everybody up to speed again on um, uh, the sanctions programs. Uh, A lot of people are dealing with the Venezuela sanctions program, so you have to be careful uh, when you're dealing with any entities, particularly in the oil and gas industry uh, relating to Venezuela. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At ethical companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment and the services that we offer at our website, www.volkofflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help you achieve your goals.